0: Well, thank you everyone and welcome to the Love Trades podcast. The Love Trades podcast and platform seek to help teach youth, especially those aged eighth to 12th grade, what opportunities exist out in the trades. One of the ways that we do that is by having conversations with guests on our podcast who are working in spaces that are highly creative, unique and allow them to exercise their natural talents and abilities. Today we are joined by Logan Jenkins, the president of Y Ranch. And although he and I have had a conversation recently, I think that a lot of the talent and experience that you bring to your position, Logan, is going to not only help the state of Wyoming, but so many people in the country. So first of all, thank you so much for joining today.
1: Yes, thank you for having me, Beth. And again, I'm Logan Jenkins. I'm with the Y Ranch in Sheridan. So I'm up all the way at the border of Montana. Um, I've been here for about a year now. I've lived in major cities my entire life. Um, I have to kind of whisper this sometimes when people ask where I'm from, but I am from Los Angeles. Um, I went from there to Uh, San Diego to North Carolina, back to LA, back to San Diego, and then Denver, Boulder. Um, I have to whisper some of these because I don't want to tell people. I just want people to think I'm from Wyoming. That's why I grew this goofy mustache.
0: Okay, Um, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So for those that are listening to the audio portion of this exclusively, Logan's joining us on a windy day in Wyoming with the classic Welcome to Wyoming mustache. So no one else would know that there's California in the back of this, Logan. No one would know. Yeah,
1: okay, (laughs) good, good. (laughs) So let's
0: kick this off. Um, First question, like, who are you, Logan? And tell me about what's going on with the Y Ranch.
1: Yeah, and I'll give just a brief introduction up to about five years ago. Um, Grew up just east of Los Angeles, and really didn't know what I wanted to be in life. I had no clue. Um, So since the time I was maybe 12 or 13, I really got involved in sports and golf especially. And I would play golf every single day. And that's what I loved to do. And in high school, I still didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. I had no clue but I loved playing golf and I I left a couple days after high school to go down to San Diego because there was a ton of golf to do down there. It was close to the ocean. Um, I had some family down there and that's what I did for like three years. All I did was go to the beach and play golf and worked some. I worked some odd jobs and and I worked at a golf course which afforded me a ton of opportunities, one of those being free golf. Um, I I didn't, I had no plans for college whatsoever until I was about 22 and then I started taking night classes at the local community college and I actually enjoyed it because I got to pick the classes that I wanted. And I was actually really good at school when people weren't forcing me to take tests and I could kind of do the research on my own and get these kind of crazy presentations. It was enjoyable. And I did really well and I did well enough to where I could transfer um, to the college I did end up going to, UCLA. And I wanted to be a teacher. I was inspired by the teachers um, that I had had and I I went into UCLA wanting to teach. And UCLA is a really hard school and the schoolwork was really hard. And after my first quarter, we did quarters there, Um, I decided I didn't want to be a teacher, that I didn't like college as much as I thought I did, but I also decided that I was going to finish college as fast as I could, and I did. I finished in a year and got my degree and still had no idea what I wanted to do. And up until about four or five years ago, I, I had no clue, and I started... At the time, I was just starting working as a consultant for a huge law firm in the Bay Area of uh, California. And I was working in clean energy consulting. And I got to travel a lot. I got to meet a lot of really cool people. And it brought me out to Wyoming for the first time. So the first time I was in Wyoming, it was in August. It was 80 degrees. The wind wasn't blowing green grass everywhere, just a gorgeous campus. And I got to sit with four or five folks from University of Wyoming and talk about economic diversification and talk about the downfall of the coal industry and how they'd seen this coming. Now this was five years ago. They had seen this coming for 15 years. Um, I continued working in clean energy And actually started my own company after I visited Wyoming in advanced materials, something I'd been interested in. I started with a one page blog. That was it. And I would just repost stories and and stupid things like that. But that's how I got my start was this one page blog. I worked for Corporate America for some time, and I did not fit in there at all. People telling me what to do eight hours a day, when to take lunch, and when you got 15 minutes of breaks every eight or nine hours, and it just was not for me. Um, So I was lucky enough to be able to go full-time with my own company, and then also lucky enough to make the decision to move to Wyoming full-time. And that was—it'll be a year in April—and that's the best decision that I've made in my life so far, as far as work is concerned. Was coming here because I've found my place. I've lived in neighborhoods that have a greater population than my town. Um, I've lived in uh, small cities that are that have a greater population than Wyoming and it just feels like I really fit in here and my work is excelling as well. So with the Y Ranch, um, something I started about six months ago here in Sheridan and it's not a real ranch, we don't have animals, Um, we don't kill anything or do any roping, anything like that. It's just a place, it's a creative place for people in energy to gather. And right now we're just gathering virtual or if they're in Sheridan, we meet in Sheridan Um, But what we're working on is the future energy economy in Wyoming. And what that looks like, maybe not tomorrow, but what does it look like in five years? And what does it look like in 15 years or even in 50 years if I'm lucky enough to still be alive? And um, working, really navigating that field. That's what the main focus is. What are some new programs that are out? what are some new programs that will positively impact wyoming potentially negatively impact wyoming so there's plenty to work on there i've got a brand new venture that's only a couple weeks old that's my first nonprofit and that one's focused on the creative industries it's called circular and it has it is based on the circular economy and that's something I've been working on for the last five years or so, and now can actually finally do something with it.
0: So it sounds like, before we talk about the circular economy, I wanna pause here and ask you a couple of questions about this first part of your story. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned this mm-hmm. desire that you had to go play golf. At what point did you think to yourself, like, this is a passion of mine. This passion might not support my future financially. So I need to think outside of the box or I need to think about some other things. So my question for you is, first of all, do you still play golf? And secondly, mm-hmm. like what were some of those tipping points that made you say, like, this is a passion that I probably won't take a career out of and instead I'll go look for something over here.
1: Yeah. That, that's a great question. So I think I knew even when I was 16 years old, 18 years old, and, and even when I was down in San Diego that I was never going to be good enough to make a lot of money doing it. Um, and even if I was working full time and working as a club professional and, and playing in tournaments and, and teaching people, I was always going to be capped at income. There's never those, those guys make between 30 and $50,000 a year. You can never make more even if you're the best in your region, et cetera. So I I didn't like that limit for one thing. Um, I don't play golf anymore. I haven't. I've hit balls. I've gone to the range. I can still hit. Um, I can still play. But I think my life's gotten a little too busy for that. So there's other things that I do now. It's hard to take five or six hours out of your Saturday or Sunday and go do that. Sure, Um, sure. So I don't do that anymore. But I think that was the big thing. And that's really what limited me in college as well, as far as teaching, because I had a lot of friends that were teacher's assistants that were 27, 28 years old, you know, working towards their PhD. And they, they were making $12 an hour on average. Um, when they left their PhD, now they have to continue working for that amount of money and they were capped as well so they might not even start making money until they're 32 33 years old um and that was one reason i got up out of that as well okay so
0: it really sounds like you are not solely money driven from the conversation that we're having right now as well as others that we've had before However, Mm -hmm. it sounds like you also keep a really close eye to the type of future you want and to make sure that there's income and growth potential to help you achieve that. I think that is like a a really strong takeaway from what you're saying is that it's important to look at that when thinking about a career and say like, I don't know what I want to do when I grow up, but I kind of know maybe what I want to be or where I want Mm -hmm. to live or the type of lifestyle I want to have. And so you backed into that, you kind of reverse engineered certain things. So you could say like, I want to be at a place where now I can have the flexibility to go outside when it's beautiful at 10am, start a nonprofit, sit on a podcast that talks to kids about trades. Like it it Mm -hmm. seems like all of those factors, maybe even in your early 20s when you didn't realize it, but all of those factors kind of play into what we think about growing up and what that Mm -hmm. might look like.
1: Certainly. And, and people that know me well will tell you I still haven't grown up. I'm, a, I'm an 18-year-old in a 40-year-old man's body. So I love having fun. I love doing just goofy stuff. My son will certainly attest to that. I embarrass him constantly. And that, that's my passion as well. Is <laughs> embarrassing him. But uh, yeah, I think that's a good summary right there.
0: Okay, great. Well, I think that's just really important. Sometimes I feel like we're we're fed information that it's all about passion or it's all about the salary. And really at the end of the day, after conversation and conversation of people who have been on the podcast and in other situations, it seems very, very apparent that creating a well-rounded future requires looking at all of those little bits and pieces that are along the foundation. So you uh, you definitely just dis- demonstrated that well in your past, as well as how you articulated it now. So if we were to talk about some of the things that makes Love Trades what it is, one of those things, as you know, is the assessment that we use. And the reason why we use that particular assessment is we want to roll up our sleeves and dig in to learn more about what people are already good at and then help them connect those resources with opportunities and careers. And in in a lot of cases, I think our society tells us all the time like what we're not good at so that we can improve on that instead of just saying like, hey, maybe here's some things I'm really good at and I'm going to spend extra time in my life cultivating what I'm good at so that I can breathe the best in that particular space. When I look at your assessment, there's three things that come to mind. First is your high networking, then is your self-control, and that's followed by your creativity. Of course, most of our guests see a total of five, but we're only going to look at these three in particular. But your high networking. Tell me a little bit more about. We'll go through each one of these three. But tell me a little bit more about how your high networking has helped you in your previous positions and currently at Y Ranch.
1: Yeah, I would say that's the best quality that I have, and that's what's gotten to me. That's what's gotten me to where I am today. Um, so I won't dive into details there, but just letting as many people as I can know who I am and what I'm doing and having a mentality. I think this is of utmost importance of giving before you get anything. So you're giving first, you're saying, is there anything I can help you with? I'd be happy to help you with. I think you and I demonstrated that too, Beth, saying, "Um, I love your logo. I love this about love trades and I wanna hear more. So I was at I was asking you, tell me more about you rather than saying, here's everything. here's all the cool stuff that I do. Let's talk about you first. And then once we have a kind of a, a, a decent relationship where we're getting along, then you can ask me something, Hey, can you be a part of my podcast? Absolutely, Beth. Um, so I think that giving first, that's built my network. So that's how people know who I am because I made some sacrifices. I didn't ask for money or an endorsement from um, um, anyone that I've ever worked with after maybe after three months or six months because we have to eat, right? Um, But for everyone that I know right now, I haven't asked anyone for money. I'm not here in Sheridan saying, I have some really good ideas and I need money from the county. And I need money from the state, and I need University of Wyoming to work with me. I said I came here with my own money. I needed some more money, and I got it from the federal government um, through the Department of Energy. That's how we're funded. And now I want to help others in the state have access to new federal programs that are that are coming out. And I'm not asking any of those companies for money either. Now. Uh, I had one this morning even that asked me, hey, there's something that we can work on together. Let's talk on Friday. This is a real opportunity. It's like, yes, all that giving, which in total was two to four hours at the most, has paid off because now something big's come up. And that's a, a really neat philosophy. I don't know whatever to, what else to call it except for giving first.
0: Okay, so does it seem like giving in your life kind of boomerangs that once you like start giving, it sets this boomerang in motion. And over time, you see that energy come back, sometimes even more so than what you threw it out there with. Mm -hmm. Okay. sure. All right, well, that's that's an interesting point that you made about networking and how it's so important to give. I think that moves into your second highest behavior, which is self-confidence. Because it seems like someone might have a hard time if they, if they didn't have high self-confidence, it might be really hard to put oneself out there and say, here, I want to learn about you. Like that, that act, I'm sure you can see how that would unfold could be really difficult. So with, based on your own experience, having a high self-confidence, what advice would you give to someone who has low self-confidence and how they can build that up?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a great question too, um, and I've had. It's funny to to score that high self confidence because I feel like I have the lower self confidence, but that's really what I'm telling myself. And I think it's really good to get honest feedback from as many people as you can. And there's there's negative and positive feedback, of course. I, I've had several of these talks. Um, very recently about surrounding yourself with too many people that give you too much good feedback that say, hey, this is a great idea. This is awesome, you have got to do this. And then you do it and and you're like, well, everyone told me this was a good idea. And then I tell some other people and they're like, this is a horrible idea. Well, they're telling me things that they think I want to hear. They're not being honest and saying, you know what, Logan, that's really, really dumb um, because they're trying not to hurt my feelings. And I think that is a big part of building something is you're going to get your feelings hurt. Some people aren't going to like what you're doing. Um, and you have to accept that. And if everyone loves what you're doing, then you need to talk to more people and you need to find those people that say, Hey, you know what? It sounds good on paper, but this is going to cost $2 million. And where are you going to get that money? Well, nobody told me that before. Well, now I know. It doesn't mean the idea is shot. It's still in the back of my head. But now I know because I got that honest feedback. So um, low confidence. It's not something that you can just overcome. Um, But talking to as many close people as you can and getting that positive and negative feedback, I think really helps. And the best friends that you have and the best uh, colleagues or acquaintances will tell you honestly.
0: Oh, that's a really great point. I think that's a take on self-confidence that I've never heard before, that uh, put yourself, because you think like if you have low self-confidence, then you only wanna surround surround yourself with people who will support you. And instead, Mm -hmm. what it sounds like you're saying is, if you really want to build authentic self-confidence, put yourself out there in front of people who also may not support that original idea because it's going to make your idea better, it's going to make you personally better. And likewise, as just kind of a bonus, you're certainly going to have improved confidence in general. So that's, uh, that's a neat take on that. Thank you for sharing that, Logan. That's a, that's a true takeaway that we get in, in these types of podcasts. So you've definitely got it now more than once in the last two weeks. <laughs> so uh, I think perhaps uh, from what I know of you, your creativity is by far one of your most favorite. Um, for those who kind of uh, let me orient you to the room that I'm looking at where Logan is sitting There's several paintings behind him. There's even a drawer full of paint bottles behind him as well. His paintings, quite a few are done by himself. So not only is he curating art, he's creating art. But when I look at this assessment, I see that creativity, There's, there's kind of two angles that we see in this space. First one being that you are artistically creative. The second one being, that you think outside of the box, out of our traditional status quo parameters. In the vein of creativity being described in those two ways, first of all, let's pick on the first one. Tell me about how you manifest creativity and if this ties into your nonprofit you've started, I think that's also helpful information to share.
1: Yeah, so with creativity, I. I think the biggest driver for me is you have to be inspired. You have to be inspired by something or something. Maybe it's something you don't like. It could be uh, that you want to change that. So you want to do something a little different, or it could be, It could, again, in in the realm of something you don't like, when I paint, a lot of the things I paint turn out really badly and they can't be fixed. And I end up having to throw them away. And I hate that because there's good wood on the back of the frames. The canvas is expensive. um, And I don't like doing that. Um, But you, the inspiration you just can't find. You can't just take a walk outside and expect to be inspired by something. It's, the sum of many walks outside. It's the sum of putting yourself out there to people you wouldn't normally say hi to. Some of the best relationships that I have with people, especially in Sheridan, are people that I didn't know and just started talking to. Um, nothing crazy. I'm not, there's no sales pitch, anything like that. Um, but that 30 second conversation, you find out that you know their son or you know their daughter or They know someone that you know, and that conversation goes. And after 10 minutes, you're like, I didn't feel like talking to that person this morning. I don't know why I did that, but I am so glad that I did. And I think that inspiration really comes from getting out of your comfort zone. That certainly ties in. One of the things that I do, and don't tell anybody I told you this, but I go to yoga. Um, We have a yoga studio here in Sheridan. And I have been more inspired by that yoga studio in 2021 than any place else, because I think I'm a big, strong, I look like a cowboy, I'm not a cowboy, but I look like a big, strong man. And then you get in a room with um, 100 pound women that are 50 years old and they're doing things that you didn't know the human body could do. Um, And it pushes you like, I want to do that too. Uh, there's a county commissioner that takes a class every Wednesday and Thursday morning. And I, some of the things that I've seen her do, I've seen her stand on her head for 10 minutes. Like, how do you do that? Right. Um, and it pushes me to want to do something different. That same county commissioner ran from Utah to Sheridan, Wyoming for charity and raised $25,000 for one specific nonprofit here. It's just amazing stuff. But that's the kind of things that really spur that inspiration. And I think with a lot of people talk about innovation, and that is a huge buzzword. And it's it's a word that's used just way too much. But I like to think of creativity as being inspired by something, kind of passing the ideas around, and then trying to implement it. And when you're implementing those ideas, that's what creates an innovative product, but it all starts with creativity.
0: Okay, so you said something that I've never thought about creativity as, and that is challenging your inspiration. I feel like once again, true to form, Logan, you're giving us all of these tidbits throughout this podcast series. So the second piece of uh, creativity that we're kind of talking about is how to think outside of the box and where you talked about your artistic ability and the grace that you really have to give yourself in that process, maybe it means throwing away perfectly good wood and canvas at one time, but now it has uh, taken on a new life and it's not useful anymore. How did you um, see, how did you think, how do you think, that uh, being able to see outside of the box is also creative. And how does that show up in your work today or even work that you've done in the past?
1: Yeah, and I think that's where I'll kind of segue in more into the circular economy. Okay. Because it's something that I've participated in unknowingly for over 25 years. So, and I remember when I was in... A freshman or so in high school, I was buying shirts at thrift stores that had funny sayings on them. And I'd wear those to school and people would be like, oh my God, that's so funny. But I was buying thrifted clothing 25 years ago. And Beth, I've told you this, but I put myself through college by selling items on eBay. So it's a secondhand marketplace. Now this is going back to 1998 and your listeners, most of them weren't even born then. (laughs) But I was selling golf clubs and stuff. I was buying at yard sales on eBay and I was doing really well. I had this huge audience across the world and a brand new platform and that really paid my way through college and in the young years. Um, So getting into circular, going back to the paintings and throwing things away, I was like, God, that's, it seems like such a waste. I bet there's a more sustainable wood um, I bet there's recycled canvas. We can probably chop this up and make it look like something um, or it could be reused or, or something. So I always had that idea kind of in my mind. But if you look at this one right here, um, it's from a, a woman here in Sheridan. Her name's Nikki Swenson. And what she did was she took an old photo frame. It's like eight by 10 or so. And she repainted the frame and then she took her own Idea for a piece of art. It's kind of hard to see, but um, and it's this cool-looking palm tree-like thing. So she made her own little piece of art, reused this frame that she probably got at a thrift store for a dollar or two, and then sold it to me. So she took something that was old or never creative and 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 sold it to me for a premium—her time plus plus—and that's what the circular economy really is, and that's where that thinking outside the box problem or thinking outside the box really comes in. It's, it it may not necessarily be a problem. It may be an opportunity, but looking for a problem and finding a potential solution and then going through those stages again, okay, I'm inspired to do this because this creates too much waste. Now I'm gonna tell some other people about this idea and get their feedback and hopefully it's honest because my confidence is high enough, they can knock me down, it's okay. Um, and I get these ideas, okay, let's put this into action. It's time to implement. Well, Logan, that's, that's a great idea, but it's gonna cost you $10 million to even get this started. You're going to need all these distributors and X, Y, and Z, and you're gonna to need to hire 10 people. Well, I don't have $10 million. So let's table that or maybe start really, really small. Instead of trying to dominate the world with this breakthrough product, maybe let's see if we can get some buy-in on Main Street Sheridan. Let's start small. And instead of me working 80 hours on this, maybe I'll work five. And some of those people that I gave to in Sheridan, maybe I'll ask for something. And maybe what I'm asking for is just their advice and saying, here's an idea I have. I'd like you to give me some honest feedback. And that's what I've done over the last, uh, really in the last month with a new project um, and with the Circular Economy and the new nonprofit Circular. Okay, so
0: this is a new buzzword. I feel like this is something that I'm I'm learning from you, Circular Economy. Uh So uh, if you were to kind of summarize once again, like what do you mean by circular economy to to, uh, break it down, to say I'm a sophomore in high school, what do you mean by that?
1: Yeah, so our traditional economy is considered linear, so it goes in a straight line. We make something um, or we take from the earth to make something, then we use it and we throw it away. So think about a piece of plastic um, to make a water bottle. We have to extract oil to make that bottle. We use a lot of energy to make that one-time-use water bottle. We drink the water, and then we throw the water bottle away. And now it sits in a landfill for 500 years before it even does anything. Um, So that's a linear economy. And that's what what makes the USA what it is today um, and the world what it is today. A circular economy is, I I like the letters RE because there's a lot of letters RE. So you can remanufacture things, you can reuse them, you can recycle, you can repurpose, um, you can repair things. So what the circular economy is, is like eBay 25 years ago. Finding a golf club that no one wanted and selling it to someone around the world for $100 so I could have enough money for groceries, that was the circular economy. I just didn't realize it. Mm -hmm. So it opens up a lot of opportunities. So if you go out in your garage or you go to a storage shed and you see some of the things that you just haven't used in 20 years or 10 years or maybe your parents have that you can't do anything with, and it's a piece of furniture that's kind of ugly. Maybe I can repurpose this piece of furniture and make it beautiful. I can use it in my home. I can reuse it, it has a new purpose. Or when I have a yard sale next month, I can put a sign on there for a hundred bucks and somebody may see the beauty in that. And that's the circular economy is these things just, instead of getting thrown in the trash, we find new uses for them. I think that's the best way to describe it at a very high level.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great example and does give a little bit more kind of flair to to what you're talking about so that we can start using that word as well. I think we're all kind of used to recycle and then we kind of don't know what it, what it does. After we put it in the recycle bin and it goes away, we don't know what happens there. But it sounds like in a circular economy, one of the big differentiators is we get to be an innovator, a creator, in that space of doing something new. So in the mm-hmm. case of the art wall, or the art behind you that the local artist did, she, ca- she saw something that no one else saw, did something creative with it, and now it's on your wall, and you've been able to have a conversation about it. So not only does mm-hmm. it give you some satisfaction when you walk into your office, but it also is something that you can start talking about day to day. Um, in that in that particular area. So what was it like to start a nonprofit? It seems like a lot of people have these great ideas. and then we hear about starting the actual company structure of a nonprofit. That seems overwhelming. and then those good ideas never show up in our world. So what's some of, you know what are like some of those steps? What does that process look like? And what advice would you give to someone of any age? that's thinking about starting a nonprofit.
1: Yeah. And it is different than running a regular company. And a lot of that has to do with just accounting, um, and then how you're going to be set up in the future. Um, there's good opportunities for nonprofits. That's why there's so many of them. Normally they fill a gap that the city or the state or the federal government just doesn't fill. And that's why you start something like this for this. Um, I didn't want, I, I set it up as a nonprofit because I didn't want it to seem like it's a capitalist um, company, like it's another for profit. He's just trying to make money. No, we can still make money. I can give money to people, I can still pay people's salaries as a nonprofit. And maybe someday in five years, this will be my only job. And I'll be running this nonprofit as the executive director. And I can pay myself a fair market salary. It doesn't mean you have to be poor um, or struggling or living on someone's couch to have a nonprofit. You can still make money. I just didn't want to set it up where, hey, he's going to try to turn this into a $100 million company. That's not what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, it is different with a nonprofit because you or, or I could go on a web, on a Wyoming Secretary of State and start our own LLC or corporation in 15 minutes. And we don't need any documentation. We can hide everything from the public. Um, No one has to know even who we are. And it cost us $102. And with a nonprofit, it's different because now you're looking for tax exemptions. You have to have people that hold you accountable. And those people need to be known to the public. That's your board. So one of the things you have to find is three, at least three trusted people um, that will be on your board. Well, you have to ask those people too. So that's going back to the give first. I've given to a lot of people and helped them um, above and beyond where I should have helped with no expectation of anything in the future. Just doing that, knowing that if I do this enough, it's gonna come back. Well, guess what folks? Now we're having one-on-one meetings to talk about you joining my board Um, because I gave you some and now I'm asking for some and I'm not going to ask for too much. Of course, there needs to be a a really good balance there and I'll continue to help them. Um, But by giving first, it makes it much, much easier to ask folks for something in return when you do need it. And some of the things I was doing a year ago, I had no idea that I would need the help from that person now, and now I do. So it is a little different. It's, uh, it's more, it's much more transparent. That's for sure.
0: Okay. the The structure of a nonprofit is what you're referring to specifically about being much more transparent. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. So. You kind of, to kind of pull some of these pieces in full circle, I think about where we started in this conversation, and we were talking about networking, and you were saying like it's the people that you give that you're able to see some value um, later, and that that value might be the the thing they taught you, or that conversation you had, or the way you now maybe look at the world around you a little differently. And you move over to yourself. Um, your self-confidence and in your self-confidence is where you also see like, a lot of your ability to go ask for people or to put yourself out there and say, I see a gap that the government isn't filling and I'm going to create a solution to that and that's my nonprofit. And that nonprofit needs three board members. And so because of your networking strengths and your confidence to put yourself out there and ask, you have not only been able to start a whole nonprofit You've also been able to fill a board so that you can get your nonprofit status and you're filling a gap that you've identified as being something that, you know, we're missing that as a society or as a culture or your particular community, you're missing. I can tell that community is really important to you. How do you define community and what does that look like for you? Like, what are you doing for your community?
1: Yeah. And I'm fortunate enough where I live on Main Street, Sheridan, so I can walk out my front door and I'm right in this, the heart of the community, which has been awesome, especially in the last year um, where I have to I, I can't wear sweatpants outside um, when I go to get the mail. Um, I have to put on nice pants, actually, because I'll probably see someone I know while I'm out there for 30 seconds and. Um, but I think community, I think there's shared purpose. Um, everyone wants to see their community thrive. It doesn't matter where you are, I think, but I think the common thing is a shared purpose. I think one of the biggest things with communities is um, inclusivity and including everyone, even if they don't want to be a part of, of, of the community. Maybe they just want to stay home. It, it's or work from home or do their own thing maybe they're doing really well at their own thing but they don't need anyone else's help but at least you're asking because you don't know if someone's asked them before and again that's the the getting from the the lower height the lower to higher confidence that's one of the things and you may be helping someone that's just been praying for someone to ask them to get involved, but they have really low confidence and, and you never know who you're going to help in that regard. I think inclusivity is, is really big in that regard. Um, but I, I, I think the shared purpose is a big one as well. Um, I think looking forward 10 years, 20 years, and even 30 or more years into the future is really important. And again, that's where the inclusivity comes in because if you look at our legislature and you look at the the average age of our legislature or even our federal government, um, the last couple of presidents have been in their 70s um, and you look at our community leaders here in Sheridan, 40% of Sheridan is 65 plus. So to not include 12 year olds and 14 year olds and 16 year olds and 18 year olds in these discussions is foolish because that's who is going to build our community in 10 years, in 20, 30 years. We want to see what they want. We don't want us old folks saying, here's what we're gonna build you kids and you're gonna like it. And if you don't, well tough. Mm -hmm. That's not the way to go about a community. It's getting as many people as you can involved and hearing all of the voices. Because those younger voices, I guarantee know more than I do. Um, They know more about this community. They've been here longer. Um, Wyoming specifically, they may have had great, great, great grandparents that lived in this town when it was founded. Um, They will tell us what we want what they want and what they need. Now, some of it just may be, we're not gonna get a Dave and Buster's in Sheridan. Um, and We're probably not gonna get a shopping mall, but there are things that we can do. And there's big difference between me telling them what we're going to do versus me asking them, what do you guys want? with this town is dead after five o'clock at night. What could you do from five to seven in the summer? And just listening. And I think, you gain a lot of trust that way as well by asking people what they want and actually listening and responding.
0: Yeah, that's the challenge too. We can sit patiently and ask and listen and develop those skills and then follow through is then what boosts that credibility. And I think those are also skills that are vitally important to the success of our future if we're able to do exactly those things uh, as well. So we've heard about your networking, your self-control, or your uh, self-confidence, your creativity. We've heard about the creativity in a variety of aspects too. So thank you very much for sharing all of that information. The last question that I tend to frequently wrap up with is what is a product that you are using in your world right now that you just really like? something that you think is just great, maybe we don't all know about it. What would you, how would you answer that question?
1: All right, I love that one because I thought about this one and I thought about it for a couple days. Like, what are some brands that I could really get behind? And it's so many brands, they look good on the outside, but on the inside and how they treat their people, it's just really bad. Um, And I, I actually brought a prop. Of my favorite brand. These are Flamin' Hot Cheetos. <laughs> we have Richard montañas of Rancho Cucamonga, California to thank for Flamin' Hot Cheetos. So I'll leave this with a story about Richard. Um, he was a first-generation Mexican immigrant, um, had no education past fourth grade, really didn't have a whole he, he didn't have any dreams. He was going to work in the farm, and that's what that's what he did. He lived in a one-room um, cinder block building with his mom, dad, grandfather, and 11 brothers and sisters. Wow. And when he was 18 years old, he got a his dream job being a janitor at Frito-Lay in Rancho Cucamonga. And he worked that janitor job as hard as he could for eight years, and he got a video message, this is in the late 80s from his CEO, and the CEO said, we want everyone to be an owner of Frito-Lay. And that's something that's kind of cliche in uh, executive roles, like, hey, everyone's an owner. Owner. They had 300,000 employees. So Richard, at 26, took that to heart. Um, going to latin markets he saw cheetos and frito-lay products everywhere but none of them used mexican spices and they had this huge market in east los angeles and and greater los angeles for spicy food and frito-lay made nothing spicy so richard concocted his own recipe of spices and called, actually called the CEO of Frito-Lay and said, Hey, I'm Richard. I'm from the California plant. I have something I want to talk to you about. And he goes, Oh, do you run my plant down there? And he says, no, I'm the janitor. And the CEO was so taken aback that he had him give a presentation on Flamin' Hot, what is now Flaming Hot Cheetos. And I love that story because it was someone, he did not reinvent the wheel. This was not an absolutely innovative breakthrough product. This was someone getting creative and saying, here's a product that's already doing well. We're going to add a couple things and now it's going to do even better and hit these new markets. And that's how I think I am not an innovator that can design and create these amazing products that are going to save on fuel and energy efficiencies and things like that. But I can do little things and say, hey, nobody's looking at this federal program. I know some people that'd be interested in it. And if they get this program, they're probably going to hire me to be a part of their team. So I should probably send this to them. It's gonna take me five minutes. Um, But I love that story because this was a person who, who, who really grew up with nothing. He had nothing more than a fourth grade education. And now he's teaching MBA classes. He's an executive with Frito-Lay. And somebody asked him, what's it like teaching classes and you don't have a PhD? And he said, oh, I have a PhD. I was poor, hungry, and determined. And that's my education. And so I really like that story, but that one really sticks to me because you had, Cheetos have been around since 1949. 40 years later, they make a small change and market it to some new people. And it's a multi-billion dollar product, all because of a janitor. And he did not consider himself just a janitor. He was an actual owner of a 300,000 person company. And that's pretty phenomenal. And I hope that what you get from that story is that you're not just anything if you're working at a coffee shop today you're not just a barista if you're a student and you can't work um, because you have too many classes you're not just a student you're right now you're hungry you're determined um, to to make a better life for yourself and so that's why I chose flaming hot Cheetos. What
0: a <laughs> fabulous story. We should have got some additional uh, value out of that, Logan. And, and I appreciate the background and the story that you gave, other than just this is my favorite mid-afternoon snack. I thought you might have had you've exercised some amazing self-control too, because those have been sitting there over the last hour while we've been talking, and now all you want to do is get off this podcast and go have a snack. Yep. So, well, I I so appreciate your time and sharing your wealth of knowledge with with the world and through the Love Trades podcast. For our listeners out there, the Love Trades podcast and the assessment that we were talking about can all be found on lovetrades.org. When you click start my journey, that's when you'll be taken to a place where you can also take that assessment and learn more about how your behaviors can, can, can be key contributors to your future. Logan, thank you once again. I'm joined today by Logan Jenkins, the president of Y Ranch up in Sheridan, Wyoming. Thank you so much. And I look forward to running into you, maybe even in the yoga studio.
1: Yeah, (laughs) I'll show you a thing or two
0: (laughs) Show me a thing or two Okay, thanks Logan Have a good day
1: Thank you for listening to the Love Trades Podcast If you enjoyed this episode it would mean the world to us if you shared it with a friend